Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News podcast. This is James Dixon wishing everybody uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, uh, whenever or wherever you're tuning in to us from. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage. Uh, welcome along to today's episode and welcome along to our guest, Callum Gill. Callum is the Head of Insight and Innovation at DRP. Callum, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. Um, right, I'm going to begin. Before we, we really dive into to the episode, I'm going to open it up with um, a lovely sort of little introduction to, to the subject that we're going to be looking at today. Um, and this is, uh, and it concerns how the millennial generation and Generation Z are redefining event priorities. How the perfect storm of increased social importance, changes in working practices and stellar external entertainment experiences mean that event organisers have a never before seen opportunity to put events at the pinnacle of communication strategies, both internally and externally, driven by their importance to these emerging demographics. That is one of the best written introductions I've ever heard but I can't claim credit for it. Our guest today must claim credit for it. So Callum, over to you. S start telling us a little bit about what we mean with that opening, uh, opening paragraph that I've just read out. So um, effectively, um, I would hasten to add that for those uh, raising their eyebrows a little bit and groaning at the mention of demographics and especially the buzzwords, millennials and Generation Z, that, um, it is important to take uh, demographics uh, with a pinch of salt. I mean, how sad would it be if you could call someone a millennial and know everything about every aspect of their personality just by that one label? In reality, demographics are a very good starting place because everybody has an age and everybody has a shared experience mm. uh, growing up. But what's, what we're finding with some of the research that we're doing, the events that we're running, is that millennials and Generation Z have uh, quite a surprising um, view and take on events, um, especially considering some might uh, call them, you know, the most digitally savvy generation with their heads buried in phones and, and computers quite a lot of the time. The reality is, is that in terms of communication, um, events resonate with them more than any other uh, type of experience. And the reason why this is, is because socially, they have become the main currency for status within mm. these kind of demographics. So before, um, people in upper, upper end of Generation X and baby boomers might have viewed status amongst their peer groups as what car do you drive, what house do you live in, what watch do you own? Uh, a lot of these trappings uh, of status are not available uh, to the millennial generation. You know, cars are going the way of the dinosaur and the vast amount of people within the demographic will probably never own their own home. Uh, so they've effectively had to look elsewhere uh, in terms of how they measure and manage uh, what status they have amongst one another. So it's sort of become, what holiday have you been on? What mm. pop-up restaurant have you eaten? What uh, event have you been to? What brand experiences you had? Social media has helped magnify uh, this kind of phenomenon. And what it means is, whereas demographics before might have given your organization uh, a little bit of leeway when it came to shoddy event delivery, 
what it means now is they've got a razor sharp focus on the live experiences that you're producing and they mm. won't very easily tolerate something which isn't up to par and you mentioned the stellar entertainment experiences there that yeah. I described and we're talking about like secret cinema punch drunk you know really immersive uh, gut-wrenching types of experiences are being created specifically with the audience in mind uh, and are being gobbled up by the bucket load you know you cannot you cannot go um, you cannot launch one of these events without them being sold out almost immediately uh, and this is the kind of standard that's being set and internally that can be quite Worrying, you know, if you're producing internal events, externally you've got a very high standard to adhere to, but it's also an opportunity to recognize that you don't really have much of a choice. Mm. You know, the millennial generation uh, in particular, rough, last year made up roughly 36% of the average UK workforce. By 2020, it will be 48%. By 2030, it will be 75%. So when I talk about the perfect storm, I mean, these guys are coming into organizations, A, working for you, and B, having the money that the jobs provide. So they are the people who you will have to design experiences for for the future. You don't really have a choice. And their tolerances for inconsistencies, for you know, poor delivery, are much, much lower than the demographics that have come before them. Let's, if that makes sense. It, it, it does, and it's certainly starting to, to, to paint paint the picture that we want people to see as a result of today's podcast and, and what we're talking about here. I think at this point, having having given some explanation to that opening paragraph, let's take a little step back. Let, and, and for the purposes of clarification, and for those readers and for those followers and those listeners who may not have, have come across you before, just put in, tell us what DRP do and your role as head of insight and innovation. Just, just tell us a little bit about your, your particular role within the company. Sure. So effectively, DRP is, is a, a communication agency. Uh, we, our head offices are just outside of Worcester. We've got a massive studio site up there for all the toys and all the tinkering. I work out at Covent Garden in London. We've also got offices in Windsor and Leeds. And effectively, when we say communication, we're effectively talking about any way a brand or a business can reach their customer uh, or their internal audience as well. So events has been a massive part of the, uh, the organization for a number of years, uh, pretty much since its inception uh, in uh, 1980. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Effectively, over the last few years, what we noticed was brands and clients coming to us more and more and more frequently going, do you know what, I'm kind of losing a handle on the way uh, things are changing, how fast transformation is going, asking us what's next, what's, what's coming around the corner, uh, how can we pre be prepared for these changes and what, what should we do in terms of be best practice. At that time, I was head of the marketing team. Uh, and it was sort of a natural progression for me to take a sidestep and start looking at this full time because we felt as an agency it was important to have this role with this particular title, title looking at both insight and innovation as a standalone function within the agency rather than just something that we pay lip service to or hope that happens organically in an incredibly time pressured environment. Has that word innovation um, struck up or, or, or relevant in this particular example because there is so much of a, a, a blurred and grayed area now between what we used to see as traditional marketing strands and by that I mean that there used to be advertising agencies, marketing agencies, design agencies, graphic designers, web designers, PR companies 
And all of these people that maybe even 15, 20 years ago would have had very, very specific and unique roles and purposes within the wider context of communication. Now, it's all about content across a multitude of different platforms and, and agencies really need to have a, a grip and, and, and the expertise to be, to, to be able to deliver all of those things. They, they absolutely do. And it's almost kind of being, again, forced upon them by this change in, in demographics coming, into, coming, into the, coming to the fore, coming into your audiences and into your workplaces. Because we can talk about multi-channel, we can talk about full service, but in reality, all that's happening is the things that we see externally and the ways in which we manage and interact with our lives through our mobiles, through apps and through video are now just becoming part of the course in events. You mm -hmm. couldn't imagine an event which didn't have A, a website, B, some form of digital presence and almost C, an app these days. The event has to have video content pre, during and post in order to remain relevant mm -hmm. uh, and for you to have any kind of social impact as well. So these things that before, as you said, might have occurred in isolation and might have had a uh, uh, isolated price points associated with them as well now pretty much have to operate as one big communications um, sphere to make sure that you have relevance to an audience which expects it mm. um, in terms of how we've kind of seen that manifest is exactly like you say brands uh, 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 and clients coming to us with an expectation that you're going to be able to deliver these things and this also comes concurrently with your uh, need to adhere to the vast array of management standards, IT standards, security standards, all those kind of things, which if you start farming out large areas of your work to uh, suppliers, uh, you can't guarantee that kind of consistency. Sure. So we've been lucky in terms that it's been our philosophy to, to bring these services uh, in-house and do what we do. But we're seeing it more and more across the industry that it's just expected you're going to be able to deliver this kind of seamless experience across channels. And, and going back to that opening paragraph that I read out, um, uh, 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 pulling out a little section of that, uh, the opportunity to put events at the pinnacle of communication strategies. Um, and, and by that, I guess that we're talking about any type of communication strategy, whether that would be the launch of a new uh, cosmetic product, whether that be a band launching a new album, you know, whatever, whatever the product or the service may be, and the strategy to communicate that, we're talking about events really forming the, the, the hub of that overall strategy, aren't we? Precisely. And, you know, if you, if you take the fact that on an average day, if you take out retweets or content posted from uh, media outlets, which is designed to be viewed in a specific form, from everyday users, roughly 70 to 80% of any day, Twitter's uh, tweets that are generated are about a live event. And that can effectively be from a coffee with your friends mm -hmm. right up to Glastonbury Festival. The event itself can be small interaction, it can be large interaction, but the reason why we have an opportunity uh, in, in events is because of this important importance that's being placed on them by the new demographics moving into the workplace. And, you know, we've often seen it and we all know that when times get tough, when a recession forms or when uh, purse strings are being tightened, events, because they have large overheads, can often be the first on the chopping block. And in reality, what I'm trying to argue when I speak to quite a lot of my clients is that you know, that's actually more detrimental in the long term than redoubling your efforts and making sure that you have these real live interactive touch points. 
Also, you will have heard recently, and you know, this will be an ongoing saga, um, the problems with uh, purely online experiences. We've had Cambridge Analytica and, and mm -hmm. Facebook and the issues that are surrounding there. GDPR is coming into effect and all these kind of, the kind of zeitgeist around, you know, your own data, what it's worth and how it's meted out online is, you know, really, really more and more coming to the fore. Um, so those kind of, uh, those kind of places to activate your content or your campaign might not be as safe and as cheap as they'd looked in the past. Yeah. And with it, we know that events have this importance. Um, so it's an opportunity to go, do you know what, actually, we're going to look at making sure that, yes, of course, we've got digital. Yes, of course, we've got video. But there is a live experience to hang a hat on here, something that people will go away and talk about and amplify via social afterwards. I think, um, I don't know if the word... The word paradox is the, is the right word, but um, I'm sure, sure you'll get where I'm going with this and, and tell me if I'm right or wrong. That my, my own experience is that I have two sons. They are 11 and 14 years old. So they have grown up firmly in the generation of mobile devices, of tablets, of mobile phones, of laptops, of constant access to the internet, of never having to watch an advert on TV, of only being able to watch the program that they want to watch when they want to watch it. And a lot of older generations criticize the younger generation for being constantly buried in devices. And yet, what I've also seen is a rise in live events, different types of festivals, whether they be food or health and beauty or even video gaming. So uh, aligned with this criticism of the younger generation being buried in the internet and devices, there is also this rise in live events and this younger generation going to live events. So it's quite clear that the two things go hand in hand with each other, isn't it? They absolutely do. And um, the, the difficult thing or, 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 the, or the, you know, kind of warning that I would give to anyone criticizing the millennial generation or Generation Z about being buried in their devices all the time is that's the world that we've created for them. They've had no power of creation over that world. They were children when all this technology was being created. We created it all. So we can't very well turn around and blame them for using it. Mm. Um, it's effectively the way in which they communicate with one another. Yes, okay, we had to pick up uh, the house phone with a cord attached to it and have a five-minute awkward conversation with our friend's parents before we could actually speak to them. But that's not a world that our, our children were born into. It's not something they've ever had to do. So why should they do it? What's important is that you might not see it, but when they're interacting online and, and with their friends, they're often talking about something live that they experience. And festivals, as you mentioned there, is a great example. I mean, there's a festival for everything nowadays, and it's yeah. not just funded by uh, people with a desire to see live music. It's You can see the incredible success of these small pop-ups because the younger generations want to go. That's where they want to be. That's where they want to interact. That's where they want to be seen and show other people that they are. And um, they were very kind of, I mean, again, speaking with sweeping brushstrokes here, they're a very visual um, generation of individuals. Uh, it's, they don't really uh, get a lot of meaning or emotional um, connection with vaster reams of text or anything like that. It's interesting in the last few years that YouTube has become the number one search engine for people under the age of 23. Absolutely. Because whereas you and I would go would go online and type it into Google, they'd rather see someone doing it or see someone explaining it or see a video that explains it. And that's, again, you know, a live action that's happening that's explaining something to them. Just look at unboxers and bloggers and the popularity mm. of these kind of 
Well, again, you know, purely for my own reference, and I do this an awful lot, but, but, but having your own children is a great reference tool to, to, to have available to you. When I see them doing something new that I've not seen them do before, I've lost count of the amount of times I've said, how did you learn how to do yeah. that? Or where did you see how to do that? Oh, I watched it on YouTube. There was a video of a guy telling me how to do it. And th there, is, there is not much that you can't learn from from that particular medium and and one one example of one thing i would maybe like to sort of ask you about um is is the subject of food uh and whether or not you've worked with clients in 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 the food industry and one thing that the internet and on-demand television has given us is i think and, and has given consumers is is wider access to programs and content that relates to quality food you know we see tv chefs and celebrity chefs and celebrity cooks now all over the place and what that's done is drive the amount of people who demand higher quality food which in turn drives the demand for pop-up restaurants for artisan street markets for all of this you know all of these live events that go on so again going back to this idea of, of, of people being buried in devices, one thing is clearly driving on several stages to lead us back to live events. Absolutely. And that's, it's literally the perfect example, the, the food example. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of times that um, you will see people complain about the food at events, um, you know, is probably legendary within the industry. But <laughs> what we can see is a manifestation of, of, of what people are eating externally and what people are going experiencing externally and then what they expect from your events. And um, it's not just food that this will occur in as well. The capacity or the gig economy has had a real impact in this area as well. Uh, people, some people are calling the particular trend um, that, that could be uh, applied here sort of a moral uprising. You're seeing the, the rejection of the wide scale use of plastic, but also ethics around food. Where is my food at this event come from? What's this provenance? How do, how do I know how it got from farm to, to plate in this instance? And we also see it uh, in terms of both accommodation and transport. We've had kind of feedback from uh, millennials at certain events saying, why are we staying in this hotel when I can find an Airbnb down the road cheaper? Or why are we doing all this uh, trans traveling on this bus where I can get, and me and my friends can hop in a hybrid Uber, which is less damaging to the environment and get there just mm -hmm. as quickly and probably, deeper than 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 you're paying for it so this kind of like content world of content of choice that you're talking about that they have access to is heavily influencing the way that they want their events to be designed and what they expect to see when they come to your events i think that it's the old saying of ignorance is bliss if you go back 25 years and take something else that uh, is is a popular example beer how many different types of beer do you see just in your average bar now? Different types of um, real ales, different types of bottled beers, canned beers, special artisan drinks, different types of gin. You go back 25 years, realistically, if you go to a pub, how many different types of drink would be on offer? You know, we were happy to drink a basic lager, you know, happy to drink a basic gin and that's because we didn't know any different and the choice wasn't there the reality is we've given people choice that choice drives all sorts of other decisions and opportunities for companies like drp and subsequently live events exactly so i went to um the um so two two um separate events i went i went um go into too much detail about who they were uh for but effectively 
One was um, a pretty standard product launch. You know, kind of people uh, sat in the audience. They were told about the product, uh, uh, and you know, then they went to a standard bar, and there was very little, uh, very little new uh, or innovative about it. Um, and you could pretty much see that people had just felt like they'd had a, a very standard experience, one they'd had a thousand times before. Uh, and I went to uh, the launch of a VR headset. Hmm. Uh, that was done in uh, Hackneywick in an old abandoned warehouse. Uh, you had to go through an immersive zombie experience beforehand uh, in order to to complete uh, the, the product launch. And then at the end, when you got out into a little tent, there was a craft beer bar there, uh, as you can probably imagine. Again, hmm. serving different types of gin, vodka and beer. And it's about understanding that the demographic that you're inviting to the event expects that out the other side of it. So you can't do one without the other. You have to match the, the, the experiences that they're having and choosing to have externally with your internal stuff, with your brand launch stuff. Otherwise, you just don't get that resonance. It's just, it just becomes part of the furniture for the, mm. for the people who are experiencing your live event. And if you miss it, it's something which really rankles with them because people remember the negative things far, far quicker than they remember the positive things. We all know that. So making sure that there is that complete parity, at least with what they're experiencing externally, you're, you're, you're going to have a much, much better chance for lasting engagement. And when you were talking about um, a little bit earlier about, you know, the rise of this kind of event uh, in the face of the digital world and the kind of paradox or contradiction there, mm. I think it's also because there's an opportunity to be much more authentic in the live environment because in a digital people don't trust what they see online at the moment in fact Huff posted a survey uh, last year I think which indicated that people under the age of 25 believe less than one percent of the messaging that they receive from brands or companies online in the kind of day and age that we're in at the moment that's not surprising if someone's standing up on stage or you're interacting them with them in a live environment you can ask them a question you can ask them a tough question even do it anonymously via digital these days so sure. it just engenders a more human conversation more human touch and best basically better engagement absolutely and i, and I suppose in its most maybe it, 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 to give it a, an obvious um example or reference point i guess traditionally if we go back let's say 40 years and, and a, a drinks company was was launching a new you know drink and they would put a printed advert in a newspaper saying this is the best thing you'll ever taste nowadays yes that's maybe the message they want to get across but what better way to do that but by actually setting up live events where people can come and experience that for themselves and make up their own minds particularly in light of the fact that we are bombarded with so much communication now online that you're not quite sure what to believe why not just go out there and, and try it for yourself now, and especially with products or physical things, you know, touch, see, smell, taste, hear, whatever it might be, are going to be the most prominent drivers that you can use. And alcohol is a great example. Uh, every year, or at least the past few years, don't quote me on that, Copperberg have done a pop-up in, in North London uh, where they kind of like set up some trees with some lights, street food stalls get bands to come along and play. Now, mm. this is a far cry from just standing on a street corner handing people bottles and saying, please try this. <laughs> this is the kind of new event reality, if you like, that these brands know that they have to create in order, in order for you to engage with them. I went to one for, for Stella Artois as well, where they were serving the Stella in their crystal goblet. Because yeah. apparently this was one of the 
that used to traditionally be done. And then they were giving you specially matched cheese afterwards to try and eat with it. This is like a whole immersive experience being created, created around the idea of product testing, if mm. you like. But it's the new norm, or at least it's the new successful norm battling the the need that this new generation has to have these well-rounded experiences that they can photograph, codify, and push out on social. And, and I guess as a, as a as a communications agency, you'll, you'll back me up on this, but using the Copperberg example of, of having the live music, you know, the, the lighting, the setting, the atmosphere, it is that subliminally what they would hope is that the people come along and they try the drink and they not only enjoy the drinks, but they enjoy the experience, but there, there, there becomes this association, subconscious association with that experience and that type of experience in that particular drink. So next time they find themselves at a gig or at a festival or an outdoor live event or something like that, and there's Copperberg available, they associate that drink with that type of experience and, and away you go. Absolutely. And, you know, without going into the um, rabbit hole of psychoanalysis, sense memory is one of our most powerful memories. You know, you smell something and go, that reminds me of my mother's cooking or whatever it might be. And it immediately transports you to a place that you might not be at that moment. And absolutely, that's most definitely part of it. Because one thing that that type of experience is not doing is hard selling. That's what it's not doing. It's letting you come to the conclusion that you enjoy doing this in this particular setting. No one's coming up to you with a Copperberg T-shirt and going, you know, we use however many different types of organic apples. And it's kind of it's kind of an old adage that, that we've applied for a few years with regards to you know, any kind of brand event, which is you want to be selling people benefits, not features. You don't want to be talking about why your product is so great or why it's got however many bells and whistles or however many feet of tube or whatever whatever your particular USP might be. You want to be telling them, how does this improve your life? How are you going to enjoy this? What benefits does it have to you as an individual? Not loads of stuff physically about the product. And that kind of does it perfect, perfectly, really. There are other, you know... Uh, brands and, and events which maybe are trying to get you to engage with something a little bit less tangible than a physical product but the yeah. theory still apply right absolutely narrative in events making sure that you're creating the right environment and as long as that environment matches what people are expecting to see externally and actively choosing to attend or choosing to pay money for then you've got a good you've got a good bet that you're going to be engaging uh, having established these um these demographics having looked at these these you know areas of innovation and, and everything that we've spoken about so far on today's episode of the podcast how is all of that manifesting itself in in day-to-day -day activities that, that that drp are undertaking on behalf of its clients so that i suppose there are uh, i suppose it's a uh, you know a marked shift in the way in which the event design process and um, has been going on normally there are still some events without a shadow of a doubt where you know perhaps for the particular purpose they're still going to be pretty standard out of the box conferences roadshows or exhibitions mm -hmm. um there is a disconnect i, I would i would add uh, and we actually did a, a drp talk event uh, recently where, where where we talked about this the fact that we will often see coming from brands and businesses briefs that say we want something innovative we want something new, unique, and something that nobody's ever seen before. But can you please supply us with three case studies of how you've done it before for another brand and how it was successful? Mm. So there's, there is still kind of 
a disconnect between true desire for innovation or you know fear of failure and, and, and risk aversion. But from our perspective, what it means is at the very beginning, we need to make sure that what we're putting forward isn't just something out of the box. It's something that speaks very specifically to the audience that we're targeting. Uh, so that means that the events teams, when they're designing events, going right back to what we said about full service, um, must have uh, representatives from video, representatives from digital, representatives from creative and comms in there to talk through uh, the user experience, so the, the event experience, and, and what that means to the type of demographic that you've got there. And that can, of course, manifest itself in some crazy ideas, uh, but that's why we've got the production team to go, you actually physically can't do that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> physically possible. But we'll take an idea as far as it goes before we can before we can do that. In terms of delivery, we're just seeing a lot more things that might have even five or 10 years ago been nice to have being as event standards like apps, uh, microsite platforms that push out content afterwards, uh, social, even on internal events, as people are finally starting to get wise that even if you tell people not to tweet, they will tweet, so you may as well be part of the conversation. Absolutely. All these kind of learnings that have been brought about in the past decade or so are starting to become the norm. And now I suppose from our perspective as an agency, it's our job to push things again and make sure that the next uh, trends are, are kind of jumped upon and, uh, and incorporated as, as we move into towards 2020, 2025, when things will rapidly change again, I'm sure. Mm. And, and, and just, just picking up on something there, um, depending on which, when this particular episode of the podcast is, is broadcast and put out to people, um, in the last few days, um, there was a news story that I read on the NME website, but I'm sure has been, has been posted on, on many other music websites, um, about the forthcoming um, U2 uh, arena and stadium tour, where they have launched uh, a, an, an augmented reality app that they're encouraging all of their fans and people who bought tickets for the concerts to download. And they're actually going to encourage people to hold up their mobile devices during the live concerts and point it at this 100-foot uh, video screen that they're going to have as part of the, uh, the stage set. And it will actually interact and, and launch augmented reality um, add-ons and things that they'll be able to see on their mobile device that will enhance the performance. And I guess the reason I'm using that example, Callum, is, is picking up on something you said about, you know, people are, are, are going to do this anyway. If they're going to tweet anyway, even if you've told them not to, you may as well encourage it. And however many times concert goers are told, you know, it's a bit annoying waving your phone up in front of your face the entire concert. They're going to do it anyway. Why not do something that actually enhances the experience for everybody? And I think that's that's the, you know, with, when it comes to utilising any technology, you, you've got to be a little bit careful because we had... Um, uh, we had the example of all the, going all the way back to 2008 where event apps were just starting to come on, onto the scene and uh, people would create these... Uh, event apps which were effectively just glorified brochures mm. so they create they listed off the times it was supposed to be somewhere uh, and showed you a list of speakers and then afterwards they would say well apps are rubbish because it didn't uh, it didn't uh, have any success people didn't download it they didn't use it it's like well maybe the app isn't rubbish because your app is full of your phone is full of apps and you use them every day maybe the content was and the content has to be about adding an extra level of experience that you're not getting anywhere else when it comes to using digital. That augmented reality example is the perfect. So you can't get that if you don't use your phone at that particular moment. 
Mm. You're not if you're not engaging with the AR in that setting, you're not going to see the extra content. So that's an example of exact exactly what you would want to see. And with regards to AR, um, it's just been added to my uh, Samsung Galaxy S9. It's on the Pixel phone at the moment. But AR is standard, so you open up the camera and you can hold uh, your camera without doing anything over posters for a band, and it'll play a video of YouTube of that band. You can mm. hold it over products in the market and I'll compare prices with other supermarkets in the area and this is about the march towards AI AR just being commonplace so as we start to see more and more of this in external events as event designers for brands and internal event designers we won't have a choice people will start holding up their phones and hoping for something a standard and we'll be left twiddling our thumbs if we don't kind of get on board and and, and make sure that we're at least tracking the, the trend as it moves forward Absolutely. And so, something that occurred to me only recently as well, which, which ties in again with, with what you've just said, is, um, is QR codes. Uh, I remember when I got my first iPhone many years ago now, one of, one of the first iPhones, and uh, if you wanted to read a QR code, that you actually had to go into the App Store and download a QR code reader app that would you would give permission uh, to access your camera on the device, but the app was a standalone app that, that, that would actually read QR codes and redirect you. That's now all integrated, isn't it? So it's not just um, the agencies, but the tech companies, everybody that's involved in this and has a stake in anything that's related to the subject we've spoken about today is continually evolving to make this whole process more seamless, I suppose, is, is one way of putting it. Absolutely. And AR is a great place to look at that. So you, the experience you were talking about there with U2, the 100 foot video screen or whatever's happening on it at the time will be what's known as the marker, the AR marker. And the only way to activate the content is to hold up your phone over that AR marker. Now you could create smaller versions of it, put it out on social media, print them, and no matter where someone is, they could interact with that specific piece of content, but you still have to have that marker. The latest update to uh, uh, iOS uh, has freed up a huge amount of design capability around infrared AR, which means you don't need a marker. You can physically set a set of parameters around you know, the angles of a table or, or whatever it might be in order to, again, just make the AR appear in a much more seamless way without us having to create a middleman, an intermediary, the, the marker, if you like. So this is exactly what you're talking about. Now it's being integrated into phones as standard, then we're going to lose the markers and soon it's just going to be expected pretty much uh, everywhere you go. There, there's, um, there's a great video online, I can't remember where I saw it, of um, uh, a kid, very young toddler, kind of like walking around the house. And he's obviously been interacting with uh, tablets and smartphones and stuff. He goes up to the TV and he's trying to touch it and make things happen because he doesn't understand the fact that the screen doesn't have touchscreen capability. <laughs> and that's effectively what's going to happen with all these technologies. Younger people will grow up and they will have been so immersed in using them, they will not understand why we're not incorporating them into our experiences and that's what we've got to be careful of the tipping point at the moment we're okay but as more and more of them move into workplaces uh, into our event audiences they'll have a lot less tolerance for for our lack of savvy or a, or a lack of seamless experience absolutely and um as we sort of approach the end of uh, and we begin wrapping up today's episode um one thing i'd like to ask and perhaps put you on the spot here is that 
given everything we've spoken about today, what would be great on a future episode of the podcast, Callum, is, is perhaps if we could get on and look at some specific case studies, some specific examples. And I'm sure DRP are working with a, a huge range of, of different clients in, in different sectors, but it would be great to maybe pick one or two great case studies further down the line and look at the work that you're doing and, and perhaps put some examples to the, uh, to the theoretical uh, context that we've painted today. Absolutely. Um, I won't put, uh, I mean, the key account managers might kill me, but um, I'm sure we can definitely find something that we're always working with brands that are trying to, and you know, even if it's not um, like darting off into the future and, you know, uh, doing something amazingly transformative, but, you know, bringing it in line with expectations today is even a big, big, big step forward for a lot of organizations because, you know, we'll often talk to companies, uh, about their events and you know oh you're doing an annual conference why is that it's like well the clues in the title it's annual and we've always done one and realistically our responsibility as an agency is to interrogate that and ask the hard questions you know why are you doing this event is it fit for purpose would a video or a website suffice better i mean often the answer is we do need an event but maybe just not the type of event that you've been doing for the last decade that gives us an opportunity to do new and interesting things so within that sphere um that we've been uh, that we've been looking at uh, event design over the past few years i'm sure there'll be something or other that we could pick up and talk to you about fantastic look we'll look forward to it before uh, before we wrap up um tell us uh, how people can get in touch with you if anybody's been listening and watching today's podcast and they want to reach out to you and maybe ask their own questions directly to you how do they do that yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, as everybody is, as you can probably imagine. So uh, Callum Gill, C-A-L-L-U-M-G-I-L-L. Uh, search for me and you'll find me with DRP uh, as my company. Uh, also, please feel free to email me, uh, callum.gill at drpgroup.com. Uh, please check out the DRP Group's presence on Twitter and Facebook at DRP group or DRP group or at DRP group or or DRP team on Facebook uh, and also uh, we have a blog uh, which I contribute to regularly which talks about all the kind of stuff in the, in the industry that we're seeing happening the future current current issues current affairs and that's DRP talk so just www.drptalk.com uh, you'll find us there Super, and I'm and I'm sure that blog um, probably you know I, I dare say if people search through that blog they will find lots of things at time with some of the uh, the bits and pieces that Callum and I have been talking about today. Just to recap, Callum Gill is the head of insight and innovation at DRP and has joined us on the podcast today, during which we've been talking about how the millennial generation and Generation Z are redefining event priorities. Been looking at how they really are now for, for, from a, a communication strategy point of view. Events uh, are, are absolutely Absolutely crucial to uh, to what's going on out there. Don't forget to stay up to date with all of the latest content from eventindustrynews.com, as well as some of the great features and uh, special uh, subjects that they're looking at on a month-to-month basis. Uh, on Twitter at Event News Blog, and search the other social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, for Event Industry News. Depending on what your preferred medium is, um, our thanks to our guest again, Callum Gill. The podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engaged. 
And that is all from us on today's episode. My name's James Dixon. Our guest today, again, has been Callum Gill from DRP. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.